Welcome to The Daily Win, a Today App podcast. My name is Shay Antunes. Whenever I'm having a conversation with an agency owner or really any other business owner about the primary issues they're facing, inevitably, one of the biggest challenges that they're facing is centered around recruiting and hiring new team members. When you make the right hire, your business takes off and it thrives. But when you make the wrong hire, you end up not only having to eat a huge financial cost, but also there's the opportunity cost and the time cost that's associated with onboarding a new team member. You make the wrong decision and it can be huge. There can be huge consequences. But if you make the right decision, there can be huge, enormous benefits for your business. So with that, I thought about having an agent or a business owner on to discuss how they succeed with recruiting, but I thought, you know, really, we need to have someone who's an expert. And so I wanted to bring in an expert in the field to discuss best practices, current trends, and how to recruit in the current COVID environment. So our guest today is Nathan Lewis of Applicant One. Applicant One is a recruiting firm that's based out of Lakeland, Florida, and Nathan is a senior recruiting consultant. Uh, with Applicant One, and he spends the majority of his time helping businesses recruit and hire the right people. So our our conversation is fantastic with Nathan. I think you all will enjoy it. And I thank you all so much for listening. And here's our interview with Nathan Lewis of Applicant One. Welcome back to the Daily Win, the Today App podcast. My name is Shay Antunes, and joining us today is uh, a really cool guy with a really cool job. Joining us today is Nathan Lewis. He's a senior recruiting consultant with the company Applicant One. Nathan, how are you today? I am doing great, Shay. How about yourself? Man, I am doing fantastic. So, Nathan, what, what's interesting and why we wanted to have you on the show today, We a problem that we see with a lot of people that use our system, but also with with other folks that are running sales organizations is staffing, having the right people, the process of bringing in people. We found we find that that is one of the number one um, issues that the folks are having. And so with you, with your experience in recruiting, being a senior recruiting consultant with Applicant One, we wanted you to, we wanted to have you on the show to really kind of uh, dive into recruiting and some of the philosophy behind recruiting. And so as we're getting started, really what, what I'd like to know is how did you get your start in the recruiting business? Great question. Well, it's actually a little bit by accident. I spent nine years, nine and a half years as an education uh, professional. I taught AP psychology in high school and a buddy of mine who works for a large international recruiting firm was telling me a little bit about his job and it just it seemed really interesting to me and i was asking him questions about his his job and really what i took away from that the core of what he told me was how he helps people every single day how he helps his clients find the right talent for their for their office for their business for their corporation on varying levels and also to be able to help a candidate as well because People are looking for work. They want to make a difference. They want to add value. And so to be able to to help both parties was something that really stuck out to me. And I joined his firm and there hasn't been any looking back as far as me being in the staffing and recruiting industry now. That's interesting. So uh, was there some crossover uh, from teaching psychology to getting into recruiting? Absolutely. 
So a big aspect of recruiting has to do on uh, the social aspect. And what I mean by the social aspect is people, folks who are looking for, for the right opportunity, a lot of the times won't tell you that they're looking for an opportunity. So it'll be very much a kind of a cold introduction. So being able to listen to the tone of their voice, read their body language, even sometimes to the area of the country that they are living on, they're living in, excuse me, and kind of the, the, the cultural area of that as well, it can open up a conversation because ultimately at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're having a conversation with somebody. This is a human being that you're talking to. This is not a, a pawn that you're placing for a job. This is a human being. And so there definitely is a little bit of crossover. There's a, there's a big learning curve when it comes to recruiting. And there are some misconceptions sometimes that, well, recruiting is just this and this, but it's actually, there's, there's a lot to it. It's, there's part sales, there's, it's uh, social branding and marketing. It's, it's sourcing, it's staffing, it's recruiting, it's onboarding. It's a lot of different things. So there's definitely a healthy dose that I could be able to carry from my, from my teaching career over into staffing and recruiting. It's been a huge help. And that's fantastic. We're talking here on October 14th. So we've all been living in a COVID world for a little while. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious, what are some of the broader macro level trends that you're seeing in recruiting right now? That's a great question. The first trend that I would see would be expediency. And what I mean by that is a lot of folks are looking for work out there right now. A lot of very talented folks, folks who have been in their career for two years. 20 years, 40 years, and out of nowhere, the budget at their corporation or their office was, was slashed. And it wasn't anything personal from their employer. They just could not afford to keep them on, on anymore. So the trend I would say would be expediency. A lot of very talented people are looking for work and therefore they are ready to work. And so it's the job of the recruiter to be able to reach out and connect to folks who are looking for opportunities but really to get to the, the heart and core of what their talents are, not necessarily just their job title or tell me, ma'am, sir, how many you know, X amount of years do you have in sales or marketing or what have you, but really to learn who they are as a person as well is very important, which is a nice segue into my next point, which would be social branding. Folks want to be able to be a part of something that is bigger than themselves, something that they are contributing to something that they are helping to build, not only for their own selves and making money and to be able to take care of their family, but also something that is that they can really identify with, whether it be their the agent or their manager or their director of their department at various levels is doing community outreach or they're doing some sort of nonprofit work or they're showing up to events and making themselves known. Folks really, really want to be a part of something like that. It's not just a simple nine to five approach anymore. So that would say, I would say as of right now, the expediency of folks looking for work and also want to be a part of, of a brand, of a culture, something more than themselves are two really, really important points to, to understand to focus on right now in recruiting. So the majority of our listeners, Nathan, are intertwined within the insurance industry and insurance agency industry, to be more specific. And I know you have quite a bit of experience working with insurance agents as well. And so if I'm an insurance agent today, where do I need to start? What's a good starting point for me to become and be an effective recruiter? Great question. I would say the most important place to start is to be a good listener. And what I mean by that is... 
when you're looking at someone's raw CV or resume and you're looking at their skill set, that is a very limited view of that individual. Remember, these are people that you're talking to. These are people that you're dealing with. A lot of times when you are hiring for yourself or you're hiring for your department or for your office or for your agency, you have your your bottom your bottom line in mind. And as you should, because this is a business, we're here to make money. But it's so much more than just a resume approach. So you might be looking at skills, say, if you're an agent or if you're a financial services professional, you're looking at a skill set. Like this, this person might be a good fit for, fit for my office. But I would say even more than that than using your eyes, it's being a good listener. When you pick up the phone to phone screen someone, the kinds of questions that you ask, the kind of responses that they give, it's very important to empathize with their situation, that they are looking for an opportunity and that you might potentially be able to provide them with one. So I would say listening, to be a better recruiter, listening is definitely the, the most important aspect that you have to start with. Things can be taught to individuals, Shay, whether it be a technology or open coaching as far as, well, maybe you should have said this on the phone better, or maybe you should have handled our client and account management this way. Those things can be taught. But be able to listen, to have a conversation with someone, to really truly learn as their person, that'll pay off huge dividends because then that person can connect with you more and they can understand and see themselves more in their minds working for you. So I'd say first and foremost, don't do all the talking, do more listening and then get to know that person and connect with them that way. It'll just break down so many barriers and make the recruiting process a lot smoother. What's very interesting is those are a lot of the same concepts that apply to sales too. So like, like you said before, recruiting and sales kind of go hand in hand in a lot of ways. And so just any sort of activity, if you're wanting to see progress, if you're wanting to see improvement within your business, you have to have some daily and weekly, monthly disciplines in order to, to see results. And so what are, what are some of those daily, weekly, or monthly disciplines that agents can have that will help them with their hiring process? I would say the first discipline is have a very rigid calendar. You have to time everything because as a business owner and as an insurance or financial services professional, you are an extremely busy person. You are constantly doing things to bring up your bottom line, to make appointments, to make cold calls, to set new appointments to talk about products and services, do account management. You, you have your current employees that you're managing, a lot of appointments that you're setting where you have to go in and out of the office quite frequently. Um, you're going to golf matches to do business. There are all sorts of things that you already are just crammed into one day. And many times individuals feel like they just can't get it all done. So when I say a calendar, what's really needed is at least a solid hour, three to four times a week. Now, this could be on a weekday before your employees start coming into the office. This could be done at home every night after dinner. This could be done during a lunch break, but really it takes a solid hour of sitting down, going through people's data, really reading between the lines, not looking at job descriptions per se or their titles, but really looking at the core of who this person is on their CV. And that can vary from, from resume to resume and CV to CV, right? Because some people are not that great um, at writing those things, which is a whole nother path that we could go down to. But really, if you're to do it effectively, I would really say at least an hour per day and minimum three times a week. Really, it's more like four times a week. 
So you're really looking at anywhere from three to five hours. I mean, five is ideal, but really you're looking for anywhere that, as far as just a bracket goes, three to five hours a week to be able to effectively go over all the data, all the resumes, everyone's applications, because you wanna be fair to these individuals. And the reason you wanna take that amount of time is, it's quite simple. You don't wanna miss out on anything or anyone. So it really takes some in-depth, um, some, some looking and some, some dedication and some really some discipline for the professional to be able to sit down and, and really do it well. And, uh, and that's the start, might I say, that there, there's no guarantees in recruiting. But that's definitely a good start to get you on the right path of seeing more success. That's very interesting. So th three to five one-hour blocks per per week for getting after it. Now, maybe some of that is reviewing a resume. So what are some of the key points that you're looking for in a resume with when someone has written a resume? Because I'm sure you've seen some not so great resumes, and I'm sure you've seen some maybe over-manufactured resumes. So what, what are kind of those key points that you're looking for? Really happy you asked that question. It's a great question. So some of the key things that I look for are some demonstrable success. And what I mean by that is not necessarily just a percentage or a number, although my eyes are constantly scanning for those kinds of things. So for example, now this is just a, a random example here. Um, John Doe, sales consultant. I brought my, uh, I've met and achieved and exceeded monthly sales goals by 10 to 15% every month for the past 13 months. So those are things that you want to look for. You want to look for accomplishment. I was on a sports team in high school or college. I was the captain. Um, I was captain of my cheerleading squad. I was the captain of my football team. I participated after hours, whether it be work or education and volunteer work. So you're really looking for someone who just by default in their own life is always going the extra mile. These are very important things to look for especially when you're dealing with a younger profile. If someone's a recent college graduate or a recent high school graduate, you're going to be looking for things that are, so they don't have a lot of work history, right? So you're looking really for things that are showing you right off the bat that they take initiative, that they're taking leadership, that they are a natural people person, that they can work well under pressure. So that would be the first thing that I would look for is demonstrable success. Doesn't necessarily have to be sales or account management or customer service some sort of demonstrable success on their CV and resume. Another thing that I would look for also is a lack of gaps in their work history. It's very important. Now, the caveat to this, Shay, would be if someone had to take care of a sick family member for an extended amount of time, or if someone was recently had a child, and so they were being a mother or father and taking time off for that. Those are exceptions to the rules. That's just called being a decent human being, right? But if someone said, hey, I've traveled for the past three years just for the heck of it, or I have done X, Y, and Z, I want to focus on my hobbies for this amount of time, or simply there's just absolutely nothing there whatsoever for a long period of time, as far as a work history goes, that's, that's a red flag. Now, it doesn't always have to be a red flag. It would definitely be worth a phone call, I think, to maybe talk to them through that and learn a little bit more about that. But it's definitely something of concern that you want to address, at least on a phone interview or via email, saying, just say, hey, I, I saw this gap. Hey, what, what, what's going on here? I think you have some skills I'd be interested in seeing, but can you talk a little bit more to this? So that would be a second thing that I would look for. A third thing that I would look for would be some sort of explanation of extracurricular activities and how you think that might be able to add to your organization. 
And what I mean by this here is very simple. Someone who's doing nonprofit work, someone who is involved in a local community or chapter or church organization, what they are doing is they are inherently showing you that their time is important to them and they are using their time in ways to be constructive. Now, how does this necessarily add to the value of an office or an agency or a business is very simple. That person is willing to go the extra mile with their time to be a successful individual. And someone's direct success in their own work and at their desk of business in the long run will, or even in the short run, will very easily add to the bottom line. If someone's willing to stay an extra hour or two to make, to get in 20 extra calls or saying, hey, I just really didn't like the way that conversation went with a client this morning, I'm gonna call them back. Those are the kinds of extra miles that are really, really important for someone who's building a business. And you can see those things on someone's CV just simply by the activities that they're involved in their life. So I would say really those three things are, are pretty critical when you're not looking just for a skill set, you're looking for other demonstrable success and going the extra mile on someone's resume. That's awesome. I've, I've looked at thousands of resumes. I know you have too, and sometimes they can all begin to look the same. That's mm -hmm. valuable to kind of have those three things to hone in on and, and to look for. Mm -hmm. Another another screening tool, that, or uh, as, uh, I guess a category of screening tools that we see um, folks use are personality assessments. I'm very curious as uh, with your background in psychology, like teaching psychology, and now your your experience in recruiting. What are your thoughts on personality assessments, and do you think they should play an important role in the hiring process? Excellent question, Shay. Well, first of all, let me just state that I'm biased here. <laughs> Uh, with my psychology background, I, I am a huge fan of, of personality assessments. I've actually taken personality assessments myself, not only here at Applicant One as part of my onboarding process, but also with other recruiting agencies as well that were very effective for myself and for my team. So let me just start off the bat by saying that they're 100% a very interesting thing. You learn a lot about yourself through a personality assessment. Things like the uh, StrengthsFinder 2.0, Myers-Briggs, the MMBI uh, out of, of Minnesota, the Multiphasic Personality in, um, Index. A lot of personality assessments are based off the foundations of that classic personalized psychology that has proven so effective in the workplace. We really started to see this in the recruiting and HR industry back in the 70s start to take off. And it's even more important now with the advent of people's skill set, think like technology, think of computer skills, think of people you know, just becoming more and more and more educated in how they use technology in the workplace. It's even more critical, I would say, to really be able to harness the power of a great personality assessment. So for example, so I'm in, I'm in recruiting and staffing. A side of that is also sales as well. So you have to be, you have to have a certain um, amount of self-confidence. You have to be a great listener. You have to have a, a bit, a bit of exuberance to your personality and be able to, just for lack of a better word, ham it up with folks because you are talking to a human being and to be able to just be a human being together. You also have to have a bit, a lot of self-confidence as well, because as when it comes to making money, you get a lot of rejection. You get a lot of questions. You get, I don't know about that from, from potential prospects and clients, which is perfectly natural and good and fine that that happens. So I would say to be able to assess someone in a very general way to get a sense of really who they are at the core of their personality, 
is very, very important when it comes to, to the workforce. And assessments are gaining popularity because the proof is in the pudding. Now, one side note to this, I wouldn't say put a lock, stock, and barrel all of your, of your understanding about a person only in a personality assessment, but is it a very critical component? I, I would say absolutely. Interesting. You, you named off several several personality tests there. So you mentioned Myers-Briggs, you mentioned Finders 2.0. What was the other one again? The MMPI, Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Index. This okay. was actually the granddaddy of a lot of assessments um, out there. And it really goes into three important categories. So the first one would be analytical skill set. The second would be the personality. So this is introversion versus extroversion, self-confidence versus more maybe a lack of self-confidence, someone who keeps their head down in a corner, um, that kind of thing, which there are roles out there that call for the, that kind of um, ability. And also the third category would be their quantitative. So quick numbers, being able to do numbers quickly in your head. Think like sales, account management, talking, you don't necessarily have yourself in your calculator beside you, just be able to do quick math. And actually the personality assessment that I personally take all my candidates through, these are the three main categories that, that are assessed as well. So their, their introversion versus extroversion skill set, their analytical, and then their quantitative skill set as well. Do you find that the personality assessments that, that you use and that you have used, do you have a little bit of a mechanism built in to maybe prevent bias in the candidate trying to answer the questions the way that they think the potential employer wants them answered? You got it. It's, it's very simple. It's time. So these, these assessments are timed and they should be timed. I've had folks who were not happy <laughs> that they were timed. And that's understandable because um, somebody like me, so I'm a very analytical person. So I'll read a question three or four times because I think I might be tricked in this question. But really the most important thing is to go with your gut, even if you feel like you don't know the answer, is to read each question because you are on a timer. Uh, when it comes to assessing and when it comes to a person's natural and organic intelligence, time is the common denominator to all assessments. Um, an assessment will be anywhere I've seen from a minimum of 15 minutes all the way up to 45 minutes. Typically with an MMPI or a Myers-Briggs style assessment, you're going to have anywhere between 15 and 30 minutes. That's the gap that we're looking for. And here's why somebody who finishes an assessment, Shay, in say five to 10 minutes, well, what does that tell you? It, it tells you that they blew through it, right? That they didn't take it seriously. You're not going to get that accurate of a read on this individual. If someone's taking 30 to 45, even sometimes I've seen an excess of an hour, especially if there's no cutoff on the timer and the timer just keeps going. This means one of two things, either they are not confident in themselves to answer a question, or they have like some open windows and some devices that are helping them to get the answers and cheat. Therefore, it wouldn't really produce an accurate result anyways. So typically anywhere between 15 and 45 minutes is the sweet spot for somebody to finish an assessment. Under this kind of pressure, you're going to get a much more accurate tell of that person's skill set and their personality. Hopefully we've talked to them over the phone for a phone screening. Now we're bringing them in to meet meet them face to face. Well, or maybe virtually in our current situation. So what, what are some of the best ways when you're finally meeting with someone face to face? What are some of the best ways to assess if you think a hire would be a good personality fit for your team? 
Excellent question. The very first thing I would look at when somebody comes through the door is their body language. And body language is very important because you have to understand something. This, this individual is very nervous. They want to do well. But when they sit down in that chair and a conversation has been going for five minutes now, you should be able to tell pretty quickly if someone's opening up more and more to you. Their shoulders are going to be relaxed. They're going to be facing you. Their posture is going to be open. They're not going to be hunched over or small. They're not going to be twiddling their, their fingers. They're not going to be chewing gum. They're going to spit their gum out before they come into the office. Now, those things might seem like a, a simplified way of understanding an in-person interview, but those are typically the very first things. By no means do they exclude a person from consideration if after a while they're not showing and exhibiting signs of warmth. However, after a certain amount of time, being able to read their facial expressions, their body language, listening to their answers to some of the questions that you have are very important. A second thing that I would say is just as equally important would be for them to allow to, for themselves to ask you a question. Now, this is not secondary in my mind. It's just my second point here. I would say is just as of equal value. If a person, if an individual who has expressed to you over phone and through assessment and through the process up until this point has expressed to you that they are interested in working with you and for you, yet they are showing signs of hesitation, they are not asking you relevant questions to your business, this is a red flag. If I'm walking into an interview, I want to do my research on the office, the company, the culture. I want to look up reviews. I want to, and this is this is a bit of long shot for some people, I even want to pre-ask some of these questions, maybe even through a phone screen before I come into an in-person interview. Because ultimately, it's a two-way street. You're going to be hiring somebody and interviewing them, but they are going to be working for you and they are going to want to feel needed and wanted or want to feel comfortable within that setting. And if up until a certain point, they have not been showing any of these things, that would be a red flag. Now, sometimes it comes down to, hey, thanks so much for coming into the office. Really appreciate your time today. You seem like a really great guy, a really great girl. I did notice that you were a little nervous. Talk to me about that. Now, that's going the extra mile. And I, and I understand that most people probably don't have a lot of time for that. However, it really does bring back and drive home the original issue, and that is if I, if I feel comfortable in knowing everything that I can possibly know about the person who's interviewing me, about their company, about their culture, about the opportunity here, you know, I'm 95% there in my head, and that's true for every candidate. They, are, they, they already have an idea even before they came into the office of this kind of opportunity they want and whether it's a right fit for them. And so to be able as, a, as an individual to, to look at them and to be able to see these things, it's very, very important because at the end of the day, a lot of folks who own an agency or a business or a financial services product that they, are, that they are offering to someone, you need somebody who's warm, who's open, but who can also put their foot down, be assertive. And these things, you, you start to want to look for these things. That, that's not going to all be there at the beginning of the first in-person interview. But you need to start seeing signs of these things early on. That's good stuff, Nathan. Body language, all of that. I had a candidate one time show up to an interview wearing sweatpants and they were slouching mm. over. The, the, exactly. The, and the interview lasted uh, about four minutes. And Right, right, like, exactly. Yeah, so I, I was interviewing a gentleman the other day for actually our own business here at Applicant One, 
And we're pretty casual here. We wear collared shirts and, and long slacks here, but it's not like a black tie event, obviously. He came in a full suit. He came in a bow tie. He had his resume and a manila folder. He, you could tell he had just gotten his shoes polished. Very, very sharp individual. He was taking it very, very seriously. Now, was that a little excessive for our office? Well, of course, but he didn't know that. What he was doing was he was prepared. He had all of his questions written out. And honestly, at the end of the interview, he asked me more questions about myself, about the company, than I actually asked him. And that really impressed me. I'm not saying that's the way it has to be every single time, but you definitely want an equal amount of fire with the back and forth when it comes to questions during an interview. Hmm. That's fantastic. It, I, I feel like sometimes they turn interviews can easily turn into a monologue with simple, yes. you know, short answers. And yes, like yes. A lot has been lost at that point, unfortunately. So uh, to do this right, to be recruiting you know, team members regularly, I, I feel like that, that that has to be a practice that even if you feel like you have a full team, um, I feel like you have to continue recruiting because you never know when a, a team member is going to move on to something else. It's a practice and a discipline. We need to have practices and disciplines on a regular basis where we're constantly recruiting and keeping the bench full. Now, yes. to do this right, it requires a lot of time and a lot of resources and really, honestly, a pretty big financial commitment as well. And so could you share with me a little bit just about the, the financial and opportunity cost of making a bad hire? Absolutely. This has been a reoccurring theme with SHRM. Now, that's the Society for Human Resources Management. Um, they are the, the national authority on all things recruiting, hiring, human resources, payroll. So I, I want to give credit where credit is due. They have found since the late 1970s all the way up through present day. Now, this is at the micro level and the macro level of business. So Fortune 500 companies all the way down to a two, three person office. The percentage is absolutely staggering, Shay. It's anywhere from 10 to 30% of that person's base salary and money wasted on a bad hire. Now, just doing some quick math here, I'm not going to break down the entire thing, but when you take into the account of the training and the agent stepping away or, this, or the salesperson or the account manager or the office manager, what have you, stepping away from their desk and taking hours to train this individual when they could have been making money for the company. Not only that, the person's hourly rate that you had to pay them for their time spent in the office. You're talking, um, pulling away the agent as well. And they could have been making a deal on the golf course. They could have been upselling products on the phone while they were training this person. There are also pushing out things at the end of the year, like your W-2s, right? I mean, imagine at the end of the year, you've made 10 hires, none of them worked out the cost of pushing out those W-2s at the end of the year and having to either paying your own paperwork or using a third party to help you do that extra money there. So there's all sorts of factors that really when you add it up and do the math, it's pretty staggering. That could have been, that could have been new business. That could have been costs that were located to other areas such as expansion such as maybe hiring on a person who might've worked, but you would have never known, right? Because I never had the, uh, the chance to interview this person, recruit them and hire them, somebody else who's never been in the picture. But that, that's a pretty big bracket to work with, but even 
is a big number, really, when you think about it, whether you're at the macro or micro level. If someone's, say, making a $30,000 base, right, and their target is to make $45,000 in their first year, as an example, say, as a sales development representative, $3,000, even $1,500, even $500 is a lot of money to, and I'll just, and I'll just use the word, it is, it is a waste of money that you, ha that you have unfortunately had to do. So really factoring all that in is a pretty staggering amount, and it really adds up at the end of the day is a lot of uh, heartache and frustration and opportunities that you could have made uh, money somewhere else. And I feel like in the financial services and insurance world, that number may even be a little bit higher if you're paying for li professional licenses and all of that as well. Exactly. Um, that, right. That that you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, and think about also some individuals have used outside sources, the secondary and tertiary sources such as sales training, such as uh, book clubs to to build the persons to build their prowess and the financial services and insurance industry to have webinars with sales professionals for professional coaching. This is a lot of money that someone, that an agent or a sales individual or someone who owns a business has put towards X amount of individuals. That's money that they'll never get back. Absolutely. It's just part of the cost of bringing on a new representative for sure. And so 2020, the, every podcast, every interview, every TV show always makes the obligatory joke, like, ah, 2020, crazy year, right? And we, we can't, can't ignore that. It is. <laughs> and so because of COVID, because of just the environment that we're in right now, we've all had to change a lot of our business practices and just the way that we do things. How has that changed the recruitment process and recruiting of a new team member? Recruitment, excellent question. Recruitment has been upended in a way. You have an influx of many candidates out in the job market right now. Um, the latest percentage as of October, um, well, really September, because they do at the end of the month, Society of Human Resources, uh, Forbes, many different um, sources out there that in October, the employment rate was hanging out around 16.5%. That was 19% in April and May. So think anywhere between 16 and 19%, as opposed to late February of 2020, when we were hanging out around 35 to 4% unemployment rate. A lot of folks are looking for opportunities out there. Many are not qualified, and I say that with all due respect. Folks who were in accounting jobs or they were in engineering jobs or customer service, I mean, take every single industry and then break it down by department. Lots of different individuals. I mean, God bless these, these people. They have bills to pay, right? I mean, I have several friends right now who are unemployed. They have mouths to feed. They have bills to pay. They have car payments, uh, rent, mortgage, what have you. So it's, it's a struggle, it's tough, because a lot of these folks are like, well, maybe I could do this job. I've never considered something like account management or sales or customer service, and, they'll, and they will apply. Now, something that every person who is hiring needs to understand is we live in a very quick apply economy right now. And what I mean by that is there are options for you to click a button that says apply now, and all you have to do is upload your resume, and that's it. Or tell me one sentence about yourself and then upload your resume and click and apply or a preloaded resume that you have an account with the job board and it just sends out automatically to jobs that it thinks with the artificial intelligence are keywords that it scraped and copied off of someone's resume. So you're getting all sorts of job opportunities that you have probably no business applying to. 
And when I say no business applying to, I mean just based on your work history, your personal skill set, what you do really, really well, won't make you necessarily a great fit for another job, even if somebody thinks they might be able to do a good job at something. There are a lot of assumptions that a lot of folks out there have right now, what they think they can and cannot do. But I would say that that's been a big trend as the quick apply. Also, previously mentioned, just the uptick in unemployment. And so there's a bit of desperation there. Now, I want to turn this on its head a little bit. I want to, I want to mention something uh, that's positive that I've seen since COVID happening. And that is, believe it or not, human interaction. What you and I are doing right now, we're, just, we're having a conversation together. Be able to hi, hop on a, a Skype or a Zoom or a Google Hangouts, all the different technologies now that it, have really taken off and have been improved upon in advance over the past six, seven months, simply because people are looking for that human interaction. And the reason I wanna turn this on its positive head, if you're a business owner or an agency owner, or you are in um, an organization where you're a decision maker when it comes to hiring individuals, or you're account manager, office manager, those kinds of things, you have the opportunity because of COVID to connect much earlier on with someone face-to-face and see them and have a human conversation with them than it was before. The classic approach is, as a cliche, I'm looking at this person's resume. Hopefully they have an email address or a phone number attached to the top. I'm going to communicate with them. Hey, I saw that you applied to this job. Tell me a little bit more about yourself. And it's this very traditional mechanical process that I think in the long run really hasn't worked for our generation. This is a generation of connection. This is a generation of face-to-face. This is a generation of let's have a conversation. And hey, look, those are all really, really good things. And I think that to end on a positive note and for me to say, utilize this technology to help you really learn about something. Don't focus just on their skill set. Don't focus just on whether you think they'd be a good fit for your office with this job description or not. Talk to them as a person. You might learn a thing or two, not only about them, but of yourself as well. I said it earlier in the podcast, I'll say it again. You can teach people new things. And let's be real, maybe you don't have time to do that. And you are, it's much more of a targeted specific approach. But the general point that I'm trying to make is with the advent of technology and having face-to-face online interaction, you can really learn a lot about somebody else, about yourself. You can teach them things down the road that maybe they didn't know before, a skill set that it When I got into recruiting, I'd never done a sales a day of sales in my life, but I got really, really good at it. I learned how to pick up the phone. I learned how to interact with human beings. I learned how to recruit and source really well. I'd have a a long Excel spreadsheet, 30, 40, 50 people I have to call today, and I just got in the groove. I just got in the groove. I set up calls. I set up Zoom meetings. I set up uh, Skype meetings. It was a great, great experience. You can teach me those things, right? And a lot of people you can teach those things too but have a heart-to-heart human conversation. So I just wanted to end it on a positive note. There are some things, unfortunately, that you have to take into consideration of whether someone will be a good fit. However, it's much more than just simply just that. You might learn a thing or two. And really, people surprise you. They really do at the end of the day surprise you. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with, with our listener base being primarily insurance and financial services professionals, that's not necessarily a career that people think about or dream about being when they're kids. Right. Um, right. Every, just about everyone that enters, enters into the field, enters the field for 
a reason probably talk to a recruiter but you never know and no one had a background knowledge like car insurance we all have it we pay for it but what's the deal mm -hmm. with it um mm -hmm. <laughs> and so so I, I think that's everyone that's in our industry learns it like they they have to learn it just about everyone starts with as a teacher or as a college student or as in a different line of line of, of work so i think that's great that that a lot of our listeners have job openings out there for people that are willing to learn a new skill set. Absolutely. Um, and it, you know, and I just want to maybe speak to that a little bit and, mm -hmm. and not to belabor this point too much, but really at the end of the day, you're looking for somebody who's personable, somebody who's coachable, teachable. One of the things I was using myself as an example here. So I, I'm 36 years old. And so I'm, I'm, there's an upward trajectory in my career now that I'm on. However, I, I always want to stay open the rest of my life to learn new things. And that's, that's so, so important. So is somebody coachable? Is, is Nathan coachable? Is he teachable? Does he have tough skin where he can take constructive criticism and feedback? If I say, hey, Nathan, this is what will make you really successful at the business. It's picking up the phone 80, 90, 100 times a day. Nobody loves to do that. Nobody's waking up in the morning excited to do that. But are you willing to do that every day? with a little bit of coaching and, and great feedback and learning to overcome objections. Well, absolutely, yes, I'm open to learning those kinds of things. So that's why the human element really at the end of the day is so important when it comes to folks who have opportunities for several people out there and looking for the right kind of candidate. I personally recently just hired somebody who didn't have a minute of cold calling experience in his life, but he had knocked on doors the previous summer doing sales and he, he picks up the phone a hundred times in six hours. He, he did the one thing that I hired him to do really, really well. So just have the conversation with somebody, learn a little bit more about them, asking those open-ended questions and to really determine if they have the right personality to be a great fit for your, for your business and for your culture. So Nathan, one question we like to ask everyone who's a guest on our show is what's a book or another resource that has been um, in incredibly important for you and your personal and professional development? Awesome question. Thank you so much for asking. Um, I am an avid reader, so I'm always picking my hands up on things that are growing me as a person and of course for entertainment purposes. So I like fiction and nonfiction, but I would say professionally speaking, a book that has really helped me these past few years is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Um, unfortunately, Mr. Covey has passed away, but he's really left on a legacy of being a person who has a growth mindset. That is, a, that is an incredibly important key to have a growth mindset. So a fixed mindset, and there's another book by Carol Dweck actually called Growth Mindset. Um, that's my second favorite book. But essentially, the, 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 the idea behind a growth mindset, Shay, is that I'm not going to be a reactive person when a problem arises in my life or in my business or in a friendship. Something, so a lot of things are out of control. The way that people respond to us or with the things that they say, the questions that they ask, the way that sometimes, unfortunately, someone might come at you. To react to those things is going to be an emotional response for the most part coming from us. What Stephen Covey and Carol Dweck have taught me in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Covey and then Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck is that a growth mindset is, I'm gonna empathize with this person. I'm gonna to listen to them. I'm going to ask questions back to them and repeat the things that they're saying to me so that they see that I understand, that I actually care about them. A growth mindset individual is someone who's a problem solver. 
they're not reactionary in everything that they did. Now think about, let's, let's think about, since we're talking about recruiting today, let's think about, okay, I am a business owner. Someone had a great opportunity to make themselves and the business a lot of money and the opportunity fell through the cracks. I'm going to approach them. How do I approach them? Well, this is a problem and I need to sit them down and talk to them about it because it really shouldn't be happening again. That person has one of two options. They can react to the things that you're saying and nine times out of 10, that reaction is gonna be defensive. Well, I did X, Y, and Z. I did everything that you told me to do. I did all these other things over here and I tried and it just didn't work. So all the blame is off of me. A growth mindset is going to be, they're going to say, yeah, I, I noticed it too and I really dropped the ball. What, what should I have done in that situation? I really felt like I locked up and I didn't know what to say and I just, I just lost it in that moment. I'm really frustrated. In your experience and your expertise, what would you have done in that situation? Now this is a person who's thinking open-mindedly. They're thinking in a growth mindset. They want to grow. That's the, that's the idea behind a growth mindset. And business owners and agents alike and in financial services and insurance professionals can have a growth mindset towards their business. Hey, look, we all have good years and bad years, right? We all have years where we exceeded what our goal was. We have years sometimes where we fell below. A growth mindset says, what? I'm going to pick myself up by the seat of my pants every single day. I'm going to continually learn from my mistakes. I'm going to continually add to my business practices and values that I know in the long run are solution oriented and lift others up. That is a growth mindset. And not only just for this particular industry, but for, for all industries, we've all had managers in the past, whether it be in financial services and insurance, maybe you came from an engineering firm before this, maybe you were more in um, marketing or a, a tech firm of some sort where it's like, I just felt like I couldn't ever do anything right. Well, probably because the person who was directly over you had a closed reactionary mindset. A growth mindset is, hey, what we make, we make mistakes every single day, but we're going to learn from them. And we're going to add to our repertoire things that we have learned from mistakes. We're going to be a positive. We're going to be encouraging because ultimately in the, end of the day you're dealing with people. That's what makes them successful in business and in their personal life as well. I'll uh, provide a link to both of those books as well in the show notes if folks want to pick awesome. those up. I've read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Love it. A very influential book. Oh, excellent. I've not read Growth Mindset, though. I'll add that to the list for sure. So, Nathan, as we've discussed, you know, business owners, agents, really any business owner, they have to really be everything for their businesses if they don't outsource. So they have to be the HR manager, the recruiter, the office manager, the owner, sales trainer, everything. They kind of, they have to be everything with, within their businesses. And as we've discussed, recruiting is a full-time job if you're going to do it right. And so... How can our listeners get in touch with you to learn more about your services? And what are some of the services that you offer with Applicant One? Sure, absolutely. So you can simply reach me at N, as my name, Nathan, N Lewis, L E W I S, at applicantone.com. That's A P P L I C A N T one O N E, the word one. N Lewis at applicantone.com. You can also reach me at 863 248. 0848. That's my direct line to my straight to my desk. And also there is a calendar link that I would like to provide as well. If that's more important for you to be able to just to look at my calendar and throw some time for a 15, 20 minute call, I'm available to do that as well. 
That's great. And and what are some of the services that you provide to insurance agents? I know you've worked with several within our field. What are some of the services? How can you help the business owner find new team members? Sure. So we have a pretty much a, a very different approach from traditional traditional and standard recruiting. Traditional recruiting typically goes down the route of a percentage of someone's base or hourly rate given over a year's time. So if you're paying somebody $30,000 base plus commission, traditional recruiting say, okay, well, we need 15% of that upon placement. That's $4,500. That's a lot of money for most agents. We take a different approach. It's, a, it's basically based on your budget. So we have several different pricing options that are much lower than that, but really how we recruit is really the bread and butter of what I wanna talk about right now, not so much the price, although that is helping a lot of agents. How we recruit is we actually go out into the candidate community via various sources, social media sources, LinkedIn, LinkedIn Recruiter, Monster, all the different candidate platforms that a lot of folks don't realize there's actually a lot of recruiting tools for those platforms that cost extra money. It's a lot of overhead per month. We incur all that cost. We pay for it to find these candidates. We target profiles who would be a good fit for your office culture. Now, what I mean by this is we partner with agents. We partner with insurance professionals, financial services professionals. We go over a sample profile that at least in their mind, they think would be a good fit for our office, someone with tough skin, someone's coachable, teachable, someone who will pick up the phone 80, 90, 100 times a day, someone who might even potentially want to own their own business one day. Well, there are various things that you have to do to engage an individual such as that, which is what I call active recruiting. What we don't do is just take, simply take a job, put it on a job board, and wait for people to come to us. That's called the post and pray model. And overall, it's just not very effective because a lot of folks out there remember, especially during this time this year, going through this terrible pandemic, folks are applying left and right and with easy apply options, but they're not necessarily qualified for the job. So what we do is we actively search for people based on some prerequisites that are important to a business owner or an agent or an insurance professional or financial services professional. We then go out and actively engage with these individuals. We tell them about the opportunity. But then we take it actually two steps further. We have this individual, if they're interested in this, this, this business opportunity, this job opportunity, we actually take them through a very in-depth assessment. Now we actually have several different assessments that we use with an assessment company called Talent Quest out of Atlanta, Georgia. We have a sales profile assessment that's inside and outside. We have an account manager profile assessment. We also have a customer service profile. So depending on the style of, of work that this person will be doing. We couple them with that assessment. We bring them through this very in-depth assessment that hits analytical, quantitative, and, and verbal slash personal skills. When that is done, our IT team here at Applicant One has actually built artificial intelligence into our system. It parses that person's assessment score, essentially, sees what their strengths and weaknesses are, then uh, feeds them a series of questions that they now have to answer on their tablet, laptop, or smartphone face-to-face -face via uh, a video feed. So it's a self-guided process. They can go at their own pace. A sample question might be something to the effect of, tell me a time when you felt like you had some great ideas to help the business, but they were shot down by your peers and by leadership. How did you react to that and what happened afterwards? 
not saying every question is like that, but those are some sample questions that might be parsed from someone's uh, assessment score. They can now speak to it personally. And as someone who will be looking at these video answers, this is going to allow you to read their body language. It's going to allow you to see their eyes. So this is some pop psychology here for you, but typically when someone scans the horizon backwards and forwards, left to right, left to right, they are actually thinking through an intelligent answer. However, when somebody says, uses words like, or, and they veer their view off to one fixed spot and it stays there, and then they give an answer, typically they don't know and they're making up an answer, or unfortunately they're lying. So these kinds of things via a video interview that's one-on-one -on -one that you get to see as someone is gonna really be helpful in determining the entire person before you even pick up the phone to call them for a phone screen. What we also do is we talk to these people on the phone before we send them to each person for an interview to make sure that this is actually something that they want to pursue given the chance to go through multiple interviews. So it's a little bit of a different approach, but we found it to be extremely effective, particularly when it comes to someone's personality. Nathan, that's awesome, man. I'll include your contact information in our in our show notes as well. So we'll have your email address, phone Please number, and, and the Calendly. So folks Excellent. will have that. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for uh, being generous with your time and taking the time oh, today to, to have this conversation. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much, Shay. And thank you for having me on your show. And it has been a pleasure. And uh, take care. I love the level of expertise that Nathan brought to the table. He really has a good mastery of recruiting and really is passionate about it. I think you could very much benefit from working with him. So if you're interested in working with Nathan, his contact information is listed in the show description. Uh, we have his email address, his phone number, and his Calendly link where you could schedule a meeting with him. Um, we're all trying to do well in this pandemic and really in general in business, and we're all wanting to hire the right people. And sometimes maybe that's the, the right thing for us to do is hire someone who is an expert to hire the people for us and to find them. So uh, Nathan was awesome. Uh, you can work with him in Applicant One. Uh, his contact info is in the show notes. If you really like like our show, I highly recommend that you subscribe to it. If you subscribe to our show uh, on your favorite platform, whether that's Google, Apple, uh, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, or Anchor, our show will automatically drop in your feed on the release date. And we have new episodes dropping on the 15th and the last business day of every single month. And if you really, really like our show, please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review. So thanks again to Nathan Lewis of Applicant One for joining us today. And thank you so much for listening. Have a winning day.